0: The evidence is there is no biological reason for men or women to be better or worse at parenting. It is down to how they've been brought up, and it's practice, practice, practice. How much do I sound like a dad? Yeah, you got to practice stuff.
1: You're listening to Work Hard, Parent Hard, a podcast by Mirza. Mirza is a company on a mission to close the gender pay gap. Our inaugural season, How to Dad, is all about masculinity and fatherhood for the modern parent.
2: Hi! I'm Sarance Howe, and I'm the co-founder and CEO of Mirza.
1: Hi, I'm Mel Faxon, and I am the co-founder and COO of Mirza.
2: Mel, do you have a gender agenda?
1: I sure do, and it's to make sure that we get rid of it, because it's a construct. <laughs> <laughs> well, lucky you. Our guest today is exactly on the same page. Yeah, so excited to talk to James Miller, the author of The Gender Agenda... dads don't babysit. I think he has some great views on gender constructs and how they apply to our children from day one. So just to kind of kick off, James, if you could please introduce yourself.
0: I'm James Miller. I am a father of two children. I am author of The Gender Agenda, which was published in 2017, and Dads Don't Babysit, which was published in 2018. And I am the editor of WorkingDads.co.uk, which is a website for men who want to work differently, who want to do part-time work, flexible work, all that sort of stuff, and generally be more involved dads.
1: So nice to hear about you and to have you with us today. So how did you get into doing this work that you do as a man around gender working dads? How did it all start?
0: I don't know what you'd call it. The current part of my feminism, the current stage of my feminism, perhaps, it started when my son was born. So that was in 2010 because we already had a daughter and then we had a son. And we just noticed sort of little differences in the way they were being treated. So, I mean, one of the ones I I talk about is... She got given a fluffy white teddy bear when she was born. I mean, why would you give any child anything white? And he got a knitted dinosaur with, you know, knitted teeth. And you go, oh, hang on, what what's going on here? It's a knitted dinosaur. It doesn't need teeth. Why are you giving it sharp teeth? Something's, something's going on here. Around that time, I came across a book called There's a Good Girl by Marianne Grabrucker. The German book found an English translation of it. And she just kept a diary of all the different ways her daughter was treated because she's a girl compared to how a boy would be treated. And obviously we had a boy and a girl, so we thought, all oh, well, right, let's do it. Let's copy that, but do it on Twitter because it's the 21st century. And we sort of started that thinking, right, yeah, this is we're going to record all the barriers that are being put in our daughter's way. And we sort of came out of it realising that, for a start, myself and my partner are the biggest barrier because we're the people that the children interact with first and foremost, actually. And secondly, that my son was also subject to stereotypes. You know, and they constrained him in different ways. I don't know if I'd say as much as women are constrained, but there was, you know, two strands to this. And that then set me on the path of, right, hang on, how do we, how do we unpick these stereotypes that are affecting men? And they kick in most obviously when men become fathers, I think, because, you know, there's an awful lot that goes wrong at that point, or at least not so much that goes wrong, but the stereotypes really bite. So that then led me on to the dads don't babysit and then on to, to editing working dads.
2: From that moment that your son was given this dinosaur with sharp teeth and you noticed how your two kids are being treated differently and their gender is at play, how did that change how you approached your parenting style?
0: You know, we didn't try to be gender neutral just because you can't. I think that was one of the things that I would say is that we wanted to be gender blind, if you like, to some extent, but kids live in society. I admire anybody who wants to bring up their children gender neutral, but it ain't going to happen because unless you keep them in a box, they're going to come up against, you know, society's gendered expectations. So there was there was that in terms of, of parenting, you know, but we were just very aware of it. I think that's the thing. And that's why we ended up stopping the project to some extent, uh, or at least winding it down because you start going mad. You just see it everywhere. You see all these tiny little ways that children are being, directed in certain behaviours. I mean, by my book is obviously the best way to get all the examples. You know, when we took our daughter to nursery for the first time to look around her nursery, it was stuff like the boy's corner had all the cars in it and they called it the boy's corner. You know, you're quite clearly directing children towards a certain sort of play. I remember one of the first instances in the book is we were going to the pantomime and the kids all wanted these sort of coloured wands and one of them picked up a pink one, and the person in the shop said, oh, shall I get you one of them in blue? You know, very much directly. saying, say, you're a boy. Why would you, a boy, have a pink wand? Oh, I mean, what's going to happen to him through waving a pink wand around at a pantomime? You know, it doesn't. apart from anything, pantomimes involve men dressing up as women and all sorts of weird gender things go on in a pantomime. And yet the person at this little stall was like, well, he's a boy, he must have a blue one. And, you know, kids pick up stuff like that. And it's all these tiny little micro incidents that, that build up into a bigger picture.
2: The fact that we learn gender and it's put on us. I'm a gender studies major, so this is my jam. I would love to touch on this piece of interacting with other parents. Can you tell us a story of, of something that happened and how you chose to handle it with other parents?
0: The one that I think always springs to mind is I used to play five-a-side football on a Monday night, and we'd all go to the pub afterwards. I remember one of the the, the other dads who had children exactly the same age as, as mine, he said something about getting older and noticed he'd been, he started throwing like a girl. You've got a daughter, if you say in front of her, I throw like a girl, you know, think about what that means. Think about what you're saying to her. Think about the message you're sending out there. And of course, you know, there's a sort of slightly awkward silence and then things move on. But, I mean, this all sounds slightly tragic, but there's no doubt the invites to the pub after football slowly began to drop off. You know? <laughs> you'd stop the game and you'd be right, who's coming to the pub? You know, Gary, are you coming? Neil, are you coming? And they wouldn't be a James, are you coming? <laughs> and because, you know, you are, as I said, parenting is very central to, to people's identity and you are challenging something very fundamental. And you sort of have to pick and choose your battles in that regard. And that's, that's tricky. But at the same time, I think sometimes you do have to, to challenge them and, and sort of, suggest that people need to think a bit more closely but having said that I mean as I say we realised that we as the kids parents are actually we are subject to gender stereotypes and I'm certainly not going to suggest that we are somehow perfect and we could point at other parents and tell them no you should be doing it like us that was never what was going on but we were just slightly more aware of, of, of this side of things and I think sometimes you have to have to raise it but be aware that there might be consequences
1: that is sad. And I'm sorry. <laughs> but I, I think it's interesting, too, because it's it's a weird thing of not just challenging someone else's parenting, but also like his own masculinity and the way that he thinks about the reflection of throwing like a girl for what that meant for him growing up and stuff, too. So I think it's it's so layered. And it's it's not a simple kind of like, oh, this is the best way to parent as much as like you also have to change your entire frame of reference, which is, I'm sure, really difficult for a lot of parents and men in general.
2: I would love to find out from you, what does being a feminist mean to you?
0: The thing is, I, I certainly identify as a feminist, but I'm aware of the problems around a man saying he's a feminist to some extent. So, you know, am I a feminist or am I a feminist ally? I'd be inclined to say I'm a feminist because I believe in equality. Now, getting rid of those structural inequalities so we can get to a position where we have equality, but it's not about levelling up or levelling down for me, it's very much about genuine choice. One of the things I've been working on at the moment is thinking about lockdown and men and flexible working. Now, we keep sort of talking about doing away with the nine to five. But I'm very much about saying, no, actually, the nine to five needs to be on the table, it needs to be an option. If that's how you work best, and that's what you want to do. But you need to have a genuine choice that that's how you want to live. If, If a couple decide that the man is going to go out and be the breadwinner and the woman is going to stay at home full time. That's fine with me, as long as it is the result of a genuine choice. Now, you know, to what extent any of us have any genuine choice in society? Well, that's a, a philosophical question, if you like. But clearly at the moment, the genders are being pointed in different directions. You know, men get two weeks of paternity leave and in, in the UK and, and women get a year. But it is about doing away with the structural inequalities that men and women all have a genuine choices to to what they do and how they live their lives
2: i believe we have choices in society if we all were in a simulation i think we'd be unplugged by now after the way this year's going moving on from from free will can you tell us more about your experience as as a
0: working father my daughter was born in 2007 which doesn't seem that long ago to me but actually attitudes were were quite different then And after she was born, I went essentially back to work full-time. I changed my hours slightly and my partner went back part-time. But in 2014, we tried to even it up. My employer was a bit weird about a man coming to ask for part-time so he could look after his children. And they said, after much back and forth, which I think is the experience of a lot of men asking for flexible working, that it's not straightforward. They eventually said, oh, I'll tell you what, you can go part-time and do three days a week. And I went, well, okay, that could work. So then my partner started doing full-time and I did part-time. And suddenly everything sort of clicked because she would far rather be at work than looking after the kids. She's just better suited to that. I am far more content looking after the kids than being at work. And you sort of think, why didn't we do this sooner? But that, so suddenly I become the primary caregiver. And, you know, what was that six years ago now? And that was a big turning point um, because previously we just sort of been, you know, pursuing the roles that society handed out to us. So yeah so then suddenly I'm a part-time worker since then I've gone freelance and and these days I I do some freelance stuff and I I do editing workingdads.co.uk part-time. Working dads spun out from working mums. Workingmums.co.uk has been running for about 15 years now and then they noticed there was lots of men visiting working mums which is a problem I found when I was looking for part-time work. I had to go to sites that invariably were aimed at women. So they spun out working dads, they were looking for an editor. I had written Dads Don't Babysit six months previously. So, you know, as I like to say, I'd literally written the book on the subject. So I really should have got the job. And I did. One of the big things we find, I find, is is a real frustration is that the, the way men don't identify as working dads, because, you know, working mums is a big thing and has been a thing for a long time, because lots of women who are working mums identify as such, because the two roles clash so often you know they have to do the juggling inevitably they'll work part-time because a lot of the childcare will fall on them men working is one thing and dads is another thing and the two don't come together that's changed this year which is interesting it'll be interesting to see how that plays out from here on because one of the things we found on working dads recently is a lot of men talking about lockdown that they missed the commute. They didn't miss physically sitting in a car or on a train or a bus or whatever, but they missed having, you know, half an hour or whatever to mentally switch from work to home and vice versa. And I mean, that just speaks to the fact that men need a certain amount of time to transition from one to the other because they're so far apart in their minds. Now, working dads isn't a thing that they necessarily identify as, but I think that's going to change. And obviously at workingdads.co.uk, we are, we are working to change that, you know, as, as well as offering opportunities. You know, we, we carry lots of part-time and, and flexible jobs. It's also about making the case, getting it out there and persuading men that this is something they need to consider. And I say it's not for everyone. It's all about genuine choice, but it's out there and, you know, it's something they need to consider for their own welfare, but also for everybody else's welfare. If you want me to tell you about the parenting hat trick, I'd be very happy to do so.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure if I've ever heard of the parenting hat trick.
0: That's because I invented it. And the best thing about the parenting hat trick is it's actually, there's four benefits, but there's not a word for a quadruple trick or anything. So we just called it a parenting hat trick. We explained it in in the book in Dads Don't Babysit. Essentially, if men do more around the house, do more parenting, and we have more equal parenting, they, well, at the bottom line is they live longer, right? If you're really that, selfish as a man just look after your children more and you'll live longer i mean what what more do you need but you'll also be happier and healthier uh you'll have better relationships you will get more sex i mean unfortunately this is one that i have to you know lower to sometimes which is men who are more involved around the house have better romantic relationships so there's, there's loads of benefits for men women have better mental health and earn more money over their lifetimes if their partner's do more uh, childcare. children are cleverer the biggest indicator of of children's educational outcome is not actually money it's not economics it's having parental involvement it's having a paternal involvement or at least having a second parent i mean that can it, 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 you get benefits no matter what gender or what relationship the second parent is and the economy is the fourth one of, of the hat trick. The economy is, is boosted if men do more childcare because women can do get more, get into the economy.
1: That commute piece is really interesting. There's actually a study that shows that the further a woman's commute is, the more stress she goes through because she constantly goes through her to-do list in her head while she's commuting, whereas men can just sit and listen to music and completely zone out. And it's one of those things where you're just like, really, <laughs> we can't even commute in peace. <laughs> But yeah, and I I love the hat trick as well of just, there are such tangible benefits for men being more involved, not just emotionally and physically, but like economically. And I think that that is something that we really should be driving home more and just getting that in front of men more often, which is great. You've
2: touched on some really interesting aspects of just men taking on more responsibilities at home. And I, I would love to dig into that a little more on what your advice is. What is your advice for parents who want to share responsibilities and co-parent better and in a more equitable fashion?
0: Take shared parental leave. That's that's the, the fundamental one. Do more paternity leave or shared parental leave and do it on your own if you're a man. That is a, a really big one because... The number of men I've spoken to for for working dads who've done shared parental leave and all say it's it's fantastic. Nobody ever does shared parental leave and then comes back and says, oh, that was rubbish. I wish I hadn't spent, you know, however long with my child. But the number of them who will say, I thought things were equal in my house and then I did shared parental leave and realised that my partner was actually doing more and maybe that is, you know, physically doing more, doing more around the house. But also mentally, the mental load is a huge issue that we really need to be tackling and it's tricky because it's the mental load so you can't see it I mean I I was speaking to a dad um, the other day who'd done shared parental leave and he said you know he would say to his partner what's uh, you know what's our son having for dinner and it wasn't on him to think about it and when they went out to the classic taking the nappy bag with you with, with whatever it's got in it he didn't worry about that he didn't think about that he didn't know what was supposed to be in the nappy bag and then suddenly he was looking after a child on his own he worked it out you know like we've all done it we've all taken the nappy bag out if you've got children and forgotten a nappy or whatever vital piece of equipment and then you have to improvise and that builds your confidence that improvisation in the first place and then you don't forget the next time and so you have the confidence going out that you've got the right stuff with you you have to feed the kids if you're in charge on your own you've got to find the food and this to be honest this speaks a lot to to lockdown as well where again Men might say they've been doing as much and yet uh, invariably it'll fall to the mum to figure out who what they're going to have for, for lunch or dinner because, you know, we were all <laughs> eating at home for three months or whatever it was. So that is, the, I think that is the, the biggest thing you can do is solo parenting early on and that embeds good habits. It, it makes you aware of what your partner is actually doing uh, as a man and it gets you in the habits and it gives you the confidence, you know, women have a whole year of parenting so they obviously get better at it you know if you put a man and a woman said right you man have got two weeks of piano practice woman you've got a year who's going to be better at it at the end of the year this is not rocket science right but you have to practice something to get good at it you need to give men the opportunity to do so and invariably at the end of that year when you know Somebody walks in and says, right, I need you to play me a really good piece on the piano. The woman's going to go, well, I'll do it because I know how to do it. And same with parenting. It's just easier for the woman to do the mental load stuff, to do the, the, the practical stuff as well. But if men get involved, and get the practice, they'll get perfectly good at it. We know that. The evidence is that there is, there is no biological reason for men or women to be better or worse at parenting. It is down to individuals. You know, some women are great mums. Some are less good. Some men are great dads. Some are less good. Invariably, in both cases, it's not some sort of innate thing. It's it's how they've been brought up and it's practice, practice, practice. Uh, I mean, how much do I sound like a dad? Good. Yeah, you got to practice stuff. You know. <laughs> Let's go back thirty years to when I was being told, yeah, if you if you actually practice the piano, you might get good at it. And I was like, yeah, whatever. But now I'm like, yeah, practice stuff.
2: You've spoken a bit about how this piece of playing piano and practicing was something that as a kid, you kind of roll your eyes at. But then as an adult and as a father, you really recognize how important that is. Can you talk us through what else you've learned besides practice as a father? And what is the most rewarding part for you as a father?
0: Just to go back to, to again, that 14-year-old me and and practicing piano, another thing we need to look at with 14-year-old boys is practicing parenting. Because again, you know, we give girls dolls from the off and, and send that message that you're going to be a mum one day you're going to have to look after a child and you know most girls will so will most boys and yet uh, where at what point do we say to them you're going to be a dad one day think about what that's going to involve you know how are you are going to do that uh, we just we just don't and I think you know particularly let's face it teenage boys there's one bit of that process they're interested in and, and none of the rest of it really. you know the very early bit they're interested in and they kind of lose interest and yet we need to be having those conversations, normalising it, making them think about what sort of dad they want to be. I'll tell you my piece of advice that I pass on. I did some dad mentoring a couple of years ago. Again, not because I would possibly claim to be any particularly special or good dad, but I was asked to take part in a scheme and I was like, well, you know, if I can help, sure. And I I spoke to this guy and he was a fairly new dad. he just bought a new car and all his friends were taking the mickey out of him because it was like a boring family car instead of an exciting sports car and that was the end of his life I was like yeah well done and I said to him you know remember good enough is good enough that's what you need to remember and and this was a light bulb moment for him he was trying to be the best dad in the world you can't be you don't need to be you just good enough is good enough you know give yourself a break you know if you are around for your kids if you love your kids obviously i mean that would seem a pretty pretty low bar but that that here you go that's you know show it talk to them really basic stuff just be around talk to your partner that was one of the other things that you know if you're feeling like you should be the best dad in the world and you feel like you're failing say that to your partner and invariably she'll say what are you talking about you know you're the, the very fact you're thinking about what sort of dad you're going to be puts you ahead of the pack really and the number of times that 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 phrase comes up in in all the sort of stuff I do around fatherhood is, you know, good enough is good enough.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you again.
2: Do you like sports? Do you like fashion? Do you like dads? Then you should listen next week to our interview with Carl Banks.
1: Carl demystifies the image of famous athletes and celebrities. I think a lot of us have in our minds of having a ton of hands-on help to kind of take care of every little thing that they need. Carl really just exemplifies the hands-on dad who wanted to make sure that even though he was working really hard, he still made it to all of his kids' sports games and was a really involved father.
2: To get more information about us, please, please visit our website. It is heymirza.com. And in case you're wondering, Mirza is M
1: I R Z A. And you can also follow us on social, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, at Mirza Says Hey. We also have a YouTube channel, uh, Mirza Musings, because we love alliteration. Work Hard, Parent Hard is hosted by Saran Cao and Mel Faxon. It is produced by Connor Arthurs, sound engineered by Georgina Han, who also composed our theme song.